This morning's reading is Jonah 4. It's on page 928 of the Pew Bibles. God has shown compassion to the people of Nineveh and has not brought about the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant, Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're thinking today about faith and rebellion. Through this series, we're looking at different aspects of faith, things that we come across, every single one of us, as we journey through our Christian faith, aspects that we struggle with, aspects we find positive. Today is one that I'm sure we all face from time to time, faith and rebellion. And as we read the story of Jonah, it's really easy to focus on the fact that Jonah's rebellion was running away from God. Because that's what much of that story is about. It's about Jonah hearing God's voice and going the complete opposite way. But as I've looked at this further and further this week, I realised that actually there's something much more fundamental that Jonah is rebelling against. The reason why he runs away in the opposite direction is the reason for his rebellion. So just to begin, we're going to have a quick overview of the story of Jonah. It's um, in your Bibles, beginning on page 927. It's a really short book, four chapters, and I'm sure it's one that you've had children's storybooks at home about Jonah and the whale. But at the beginning, we have um, God speaking to Jonah. And God tells Jonah that he needs to go to Nineveh. And he's got to go to Nineveh to tell the people there that their wickedness 
has offended God. So it's quite clear, direct words from God to Jonah, here's what I need you to do. So Jonah runs in the opposite direction. And he boards a ship heading towards Tarshish. As he's on the boat, storm breaks out. Really dangerous. And the sailors think that somebody on the boat, their wickedness must have caused this huge storm to arise. So they draw lots. And they draw lots to see who's responsible for this calamity. And the lot falls on Jonah. Jonah's quite upfront about this. He'd already said to them that he'd done wrong and was running away from God. And he tells the sailors that the only solution is that they throw him overboard, which they duly do. At that point, Jonah thinks, that's it. His rebellion against God is going to end in certain death. But God rescues him by sending the whale, the very large fish, whatever it might be, And the fish swallows up Jonah, and Jonah remains in the belly for three days and three nights. Not quite Pinocchio's story, but you can see where Pinocchio got the story from. So Jonah is inside the whale for three days and three nights, and gives thanks to God for deliverance. And chapter three, no, chapter two, is very much his song of praise and thanksgiving for God delivering him, rescuing him from death and saving him. The fish vomits out Jonah onto dry land and God speaks again to Jonah. Same message, same words, go to Nineveh and tell them that their wickedness is offensive to me. This time he's learned his lesson and Jonah goes. He goes to Nineveh, gives them God's message And the people of Nineveh listen and change their ways and repent and recognize how their lives have offended God and they want to turn towards him. And God has compassion on them and does not destroy as he had threatened. You would think that for most of God's people that would be a really good story. How many prophets, ministers, evangelists would love to hear God's voice, go to a city, take God's message, have that response. You would be telling that story for the rest of your life. You'd be the speaker on the big stage forever. But Jonah is greatly displeased and becomes angry. And this is where chapter 4 is really odd because it's such a strange response and that's what we're going to unpack why does Jonah respond in this way because that's not what we're expecting and the whole of that chapter is really odd about God sending this plant and you know after this amazing story which you could equally turn into a cartoon if you wanted to we have this what seems like an add-on chapter but it doesn't make much sense at all. If we look at verse 2, this is what Jonah says to God. Lord, this is not what I said when I was still at home. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish, to go the other way. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger 
and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knows who God is. A God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God who longs to forgive, the God that we have turned to this morning, acknowledging the the wickedness in our lives, the ways in which we've turned from God. And we've come knowing that he is a God of compassion. And we come with joy because we can bring all our rubbish to him and know that he will forgive us. He will smile upon us and restore the relationship with us. And that is what we long for. And that is what Jonah knows of God and that is what he has experienced. Jonah has gone completely the opposite way from God. And yet God has delivered him in this incredible way by this whale swallowing him up and him staying inside and then being vomited back out. He has known deliverance in his own life. So he knows that this is a truth about God. And this is where his rebellion comes. Something he knows deep down in his heart about God, he struggles to make relevant to people who are not like him. To people from another nation who haven't known God, who have been wicked. People who have hurt him. And he would rather die, he says very strongly, than accept the reality that God is compassionate upon them. And that's so stark and so horrific to think that this man who knows who God is cannot accept that God who is like this to him and his people can be like that to others. And he would rather die than accept God for who he truly is. Now in my mind that is complete and utter rebellion. More so than running in the opposite direction. To know something so heartfelt about God, but not to wish that for other people. So why has Jonah got to this place? What is it about Nineveh that is so offensive to him that he doesn't want God to forgive them? Nineveh was a city in Assyria. And at the time of writing, Assyria was a huge nation, a mighty nation that was threatening God's people. And Nineveh was the hated imperial city of the hated Assyrian Empire. As a nation, they have wreaked havoc on Israel. And in many ways, at this point, Nineveh stands as being a symbolic place for all the nations who over history have abused Israel. As we know our Old Testaments, we know that story of these nations, of of God's people longing to be this protected nation, and yet nation after nation from outside coming in, dominating them, taking them into exile, threatening them. And this is one of the largest nations that has done that. So Nineveh becomes so symbolic to Jonah as representing everything that has not only not followed their God, but has abused them as a result. So Jonah's really shouting out to God, Lord, how can you forgive these people when they have caused us so much pain? 
suddenly becomes a bit more understandable. He can't accept God for who he is because this is a people who have really caused his people such pain. So God, if this is who you are, compassionate and mercy and abounding in love, how can you do that on a people who have hurt us? Your people, the people you say are your chosen ones. Suddenly, becomes much more understandable and resonates with the lots of times of how we might feel about things. But it stands in tension with who Jonah truly knows that God is. He knows who God is. He said to him, this is, what I, this is why I didn't want to go. I knew who you were. I knew you were going to do this. I knew when you asked me that I would go to Nineveh, they would turn from their ways and you would forgive them. And that is so difficult for me. I didn't even want to go there in the first place. That's why I ran away. He's in turmoil. Absolute turmoil. And in chapter 4, God is trying to help him understand his own mind. Understand truly who God is, that he can do this. And so he plants this plant that grows up. And when it dies... Jonah is cross about it. And God points out to him, Jonah, you were concerned for this plant, even though you didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. Try to understand that I have made everybody. And I long for everyone to come and know me and have a relationship with me. But it ends in such a way that it looks as if Jonah doesn't move on. We don't know. But that's where they are at the end of this chapter. Jonah saying quite strongly, I'd rather die than see these people made good with you. God trying to explain and show him, can't you see? And we we assume that Jonah doesn't see. There is no happy ending in this story. If we were to look at this theologically, this is what one commentator writes. This is Jonah's dilemma. Jonah had believed that God's wrath, we like that word, don't we? His wrath and anger to judge those outside Israel should outweigh his mercy to save them. He doesn't object to the divine compassion and salvation directed to those like himself, but when it is also effective for the wicked, he cannot abide it. And there lies his rebellion. He would rather die than accept the reality of God's nature in all its fullness. And the sadness is he has understood so much of it. But he can't accept it applied to others. Others who are enemies. Others who have hurt him. And he'd rather turn from God than wrestle with this uncomfortable truth. Harder often to sit in that place of tension than to turn away completely. Because sitting in the place of uncomfortable truths and tensions is really very uneasy. And often we would just rather pack everything up and say, well, if that's what you're like, God, I don't want to know you. Because it it hurts our brain. It confuses us, it destroys us to sit in the place. If we can't fully accept the middle place of sitting with uncomfortable truths, it's a really painful, 
difficult place to be. But it's a strong part of human nature to struggle. To struggle with the truths of God and what they mean in totality. Sometimes it's hard to understand them for ourselves and to accept them. But to take that beyond ourselves just raises so many questions. There's a strong part of each and every one of us who rebels at that point. And we see other examples in scripture. The story of the prodigal son. That lovely story where the younger son goes off, abandons everything that he's known, goes in his wicked ways and then decides to come back. And the picture we all love of the father standing at the end of the road, arms wide open and the youngest son running and the father embracing him. But we've got another character in that story. We've got the eldest son. The eldest son who struggles to accept the fact that his father forgives and loves him. And it's as if the father turns to the eldest son and says this, I can't love just one of you. My love is made for both of you. And how can you say you love me if you can't accept my love for your brother and you remain separated from him? The eldest son is a Jonah. Yes, I'd love your love and acceptance, father, but not for my brother who's really abused it and run off. Why on earth should you forgive him now? I've been at home all the time. Come on. Or, you know, honour me. Kill the fatty calf for me. Why are you doing it for him? Because he can't fully accept that the father loves wholeheartedly and longs to restore. That's fine for me, but not for him. Because he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't deserve that. He's not worthy of that. And what about the Pharisees? The whole battle between Jesus and the Pharisees is the Pharisees again not fully accepting God's nature for, who it, for what it truly is. They're trying to keep this really closed religion. You're either in or you're out. And if you don't obey all the rules, you're automatically out. They would rather debate ad nauseam all the rules of what you can do on the Sabbath and what you can't than accept that God longs for everybody to come and know him. Because that throws their whole understanding of faith. That's so uncomfortable. So let's stick with what we know. Let's get bogged down with the rules. And we can read scripture. We can read Jonah. We can read the elder son. We can read about the Pharisees and think we know how to live. We need to live fully accepting who God is and live with that. And yet I know I find myself in that place of rebellion. I know I find at times it really hard to accept that the nature of God that I rejoice in and that I sing about Sunday by Sunday means I've got to face some difficult questions. If it's true for me, then it's true for them. And where will I sit with that? But if I sit unable to accept God, I'm the loser. Because I struggle to find that closeness with God. Because I'm holding him at arm's length. I want to keep you there, Lord. But there's part of you I can't really embrace, and so therefore you're always going to be at a distance. And in my everyday life, it means I need to find forgiveness, tolerance, 
acceptance, reconciliation. Sometimes that's just too hard. There's been some people speak about that really honestly. And this is an article that came out a long time ago. It was in 2006. About the struggle for one person to accept that God is compassionate and merciful because in her own life she was struggling to find that. It's very difficult to stand behind an altar and lead people in words of peace and reconciliation and forgiveness when I feel very far from that myself. So said the Reverend Julie Nicholson, announcing her intention to resign her role as vicar of St. Aidan's Church in Bristol. What has estranged her from one of the most fundamental tenets of her Christian faith is the killing of her daughter Jenny. The 24-year-old, a gifted musician, died in one of the four terrorist bomb explosions in London on 7th of July, the year before, Then this came out in 2006. Mrs Nicholson and her husband Greg were on holiday in Wales when they found out that their daughter had died. Mrs Nicholson went on extended compassionate leave and has now decided that she is unable to return to her job. She plans to continue working for the church outside the priesthood, running community arts projects. I'm looking for a way in which I can still have priestly ministry when there are some things I can no longer practice or I can't currently practice, she said. For me, that's about integrity. I admire her so much for that honesty. It'd be so much easier to carry on in ministry pretending she wasn't sitting in that place of pain. Because in her life, that sense of anger of what had happened to her daughter, the whole idea of accepting God as a God of compassion and mercy, even if they repent upon those who had killed her daughter, was agonizing for her. And she couldn't stand in front of a church when that was going on in her life. Jonah and his people had been terrorized by the Ninevites, by the Assyrians. And Jonah's in a place where he can't forget that. He can't forgive that. And he can't cope with the fact that God will. So difficult. I'm not saying this is an easy journey. But I'm saying when we're in that place, let's remember we're not, people have been there before us. The greats of scripture are flawed human beings like us. If we think this is a handbook of how to live our Christian faith, it's actually a handbook at looking at people who got it wrong time and time again. And that should bring us some sense of reassurance that we haven't been there, that we're not the only ones. People have been there before us. That Jonah has been in that place. That God knows what it is like for us to be in that place of difficulty and struggle. But if we want to move forward... We have to see God for who he truly is. And that then leaves implications on our lives. And it might be about forgiving. It might be about other things. Henri Nouwen wrote this. Henri Nouwen um, worked for a long time in L'Arche, working with people with um, disabilities, um, And just as an incredible man, he did a lot of writing 
a lot of writing that makes you think a lot. It's very honest. She said this, I've often said I forgive you. But even as I said those words, my heart remained angry or resentful. I still wanted to hear the story that tells me that I was right after all. I still wanted to hear apologies and excuses. I still wanted the satisfaction of receiving some praise in return, if only the praise for being so forgiving. But God's forgiveness is unconditional. It comes from a heart that does not demand anything for itself, a heart that is completely empty of self-seeking. It is this divine forgiveness that I have to practice in my daily life. It calls me to keep stepping over all my arguments that say forgiveness is unwise, unhealthy and impractical. It challenges me to step over all my needs for gratitude and compliments. Finally, it demands of me that I step over that wounded part of my heart that feels hurt and wronged and that wants to stay in control and put a few conditions between me and the one who I am asked to forgive. Jonah's problem is that he sees that God has forgiven the Ninevites and so therefore he needs to as well. And yet he feels hurt and wronged. And he's shouting at God, how can you do this? It's not fair. It's the toddler stamping his foot. They have hurt me and yet, Lord, you forgive them. And that is his place of rebellion. And that is the place of rebellion that we can find ourselves in so easily. How can you, Lord? And yet, he wants to know God for himself in that way. And he has known a God who has delivered him and rescued him, despite his disobedience. So of all people, Jonah should know better. Because he has been picked up from the pit and placed on firm land. And yet he's shouting at God. That is our attention. We know who God is. And we long for that in our own lives. And yet there are times when we look around and we see God acting as we want him to act. But it causes us pain. And we sit in that place of rebellion, of shouting out, it's not fair. I wish you wouldn't do that, Lord. But as you have done it, I don't want anything to do with it. Because I can't, in my own heart, go along and follow your example. But God is who he is. And we need to rejoice in that. And we need to find that in our own lives. And it may be today, you have not allowed God to completely forgive you. That you have not accepted that he is gracious, compassionate, full of mercy and abounding in love. And maybe the journey for you is fully embracing that. But maybe you have known that in your life. And it's hard for you to imagine that God wants to show that to someone who's hurt you. Remember who he is. Remember how much that means to you. And seek his help in sharing in his compassion and mercy. I just want to end with some words from Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, 
nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us, as accord, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I want to know that God in my own life. And accepting that that is who God is, I have to embrace the fact that that is who God is for everybody he has made, not just me.